This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. All right. I know what legalism is. What the heck is licentiousness? Oh, sure. Okay. All right. Basically, it's a license to sin because it's a person who thinks that no matter what they do, grace will always cover them. On the other side of that, you have legalism, which is the polar opposite, and that's following the law so that you'll somehow earn God's favor. And so in both cases, these things are bad because they both diminish the work of Christ. Right on. Licentiousness presumes on God's grace and his mercy. Legalism, on the other hand, functions to think that Christ's work will fall short of of covering your sin. So there's something you need to do to make up for it or earn God's favor or right in that sense. And so these are two categories and they're common errors in the church often because um, they're easy to fall into. And they're easy to fall into, honestly, without even intending to. And you had a some well, kind of illustration for this. Yeah, I, I think it was Luther. Oh, I'm going to destroy it, but I think it's Luther that said it. Um, that it's it's like a drunk man that's trying to uh, ride a horse and at the same time avoid the ditch that's on either side. He, every time he gets up on the horse, he ends up falling off into the ditch on the other side. Gets up gets on the horse falls over again and that's that's really what a lot of people do um until their faith becomes stable is on one side they're so thrilled i'm saved so they 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 literally begin to think they can do anything uh, because you know i'm safe in christ and they fall into that that world of hyper grace almost and then on the other side you got them where then they become so beat up that and we we've met people like this, you know, that, that they're literally paralyzed because all they can think about is their sin, and they're forgetting that the sin has been resolved through Christ. So you're free. Yeah. So you see, you see the pendulum swing, and they're usually in rea- reaction to one another. Yep. If a person's caught in legalism, they're heavy on grace all of a sudden, and that throws them into licentiousness. On the other hand, if someone's living a life of hyper grace or licentiousness, if you will, all of a sudden they start piling on the commands and the laws to straighten out their life so that they can sort of clean themselves up or something like that. And the end result is an incredibly miserable person and also very difficult to help because you you almost have to like try to time it where you can grab them when they're in the middle where they should be and see if you can stop that swing. Um, But it's, it's not easy. So, so really, if if you're going to deal with it, you you need to be able to get sound in doctrine, and 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 sound in how to handle your Bible, and then all of that stuff's going to begin to work itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it, it's important that people understand that these are bad. I mean, they're 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 enemies to to the gospel, to the real gospel. Um, because they ultimately fail to give both the content of what we are to believe and what we are to do in light of what we claim to believe. So going back to a previous podcast where we talked about the notitia, what, what is the basic things we must believe that, that 
will bring us to salvation. You have to know that. You have to understand that content. But you also have to understand, in light of believing this, how then do I live? Uh, how am I to function? So um, exact, an example of that is um, licentiousness. Um, there's this type of preaching that goes on that produces what one guy called uh, religious laxity, which is a pretty cool phrase, uh, because the emphasis is upon all that Jesus has done for you through the cross, but it never then, and here's the key part, it never transitions into a clear declaration of what then the gospel belief demands of you. And, and that's where licentiousness can start to creep in, is you keep thinking about what Christ has done for you on your, on your behalf, but you never think, okay, in light of that, then how do I live? So you can hear a sermon um, on all about what it's expected of you as a husband, Mark. You know, what does God expect you as a husband out of Ephesians 5 to be and to do? Um, but then the pastor ruins it all because he then goes in on to say something to the effect of this. Um, look, that's what is demanded of you, but praise God, you're not going to be able to do it. But thankfully, Jesus did it for you, so you're okay. And so, in, in a sense, it essentially undercuts everything he just told you. Look, you're a lousy husband, and, and you're a selfish husband, and you're not loving your wife as you ought to, and you're not being a father like you ought to. But don't worry about it, because ultimately Christ took care of it for you on the cross. That's not what that text is saying, but that that is what's being said. And we call that today gospel-centered preaching, but it's it just takes the guts out of the commands. Um, and this is why so many churches will end up not wanting to do church discipline, because we want to be loving the guys with their gospel, and we just need to keep talking about the gospel and letting them be washed with the gospel. And that's, again, that's not what the scripture says. We, we just did a podcast. Why do you need to do church discipline then? And, and Christ demands it. Nowhere in there does he tell you in the church, well, just, you know, let them see the grace let them hear grace. No, it actually says, no, you go and correct them, call them to repent. And if you don't, ultimately they're sent out of the church. So when, you, when you're looking at licentiousness, some of the indicators, um, when you're listening to preaching or you're seeing a person's life would be this. Um, you're you're going to hear a diminished call to repent and follow. Um, you're going to hear excuses like, well, grace abounds over these sins. Praise God. Um, I, when I grew up, the phrase was commonly said, well, thank God it's covered under the blood. Everything got covered. And on one, on a theological sense, true, but on another sense, that doesn't mean you then go out and continue to sin. Um, what's, what's some other things? Jesus did that for me. Yeah, or, you know, people... It works out function in their, in their life when they're battling a certain sin or a pattern of sin, and they just say, "Well, you know what? This is just kind of who I am, or this is what I I struggle with." Which, um, but Christ has covered that for me. Yeah, and, somehow I can struggle with it and never have. I'll, I don't care if I ever conquer it. Yeah, it's it's this idea that. Um, we're not called to be conformed into Christ's image. He just somehow has done this all for us on our behalf. And it's only half of the gospel. And, and 
utter diminishing of it. Uh, very frustrating. And, and the re, end result is when you look at a person like that, you're not going to be seeing an, an ever-increasing genuine holiness in his life um, mm-hmm. because he's not pursuing holiness. He's just, like one guy told me, he's, he's just resting in the grace of God. And I'm like, what? I don't know what that means. I'm like, okay, what's that mean? He's like, you know, just resting. No, I don't. What? What? How do you rest in the grace Which when is, you're actively sinning? That's yeah. clearly not resting. You're doing something. And, well, we just didn't agree, yeah. apparently. Whereas as Paul would say, I press on or I fight or I buffet my body. You know, all these. Yeah, but you don't want to take that too literally, right? I mean, come on. Those things are metaphors for resting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I, when I read, you you run the race so as to win and not be disqualified and you buffet your body and you press on. Turn on the music, close your eyes. What? And just pray. Oh, or rest. Well, rest in the grace. Sure. Grace, grace. No. Okay. On the other side of that, is, so that's licentiousness. That's a, it's right. just a hyper grace approach um, where Christ has taken everything, no matter what I do, it's always covered. Really, it's this idea that he's not concerned with holiness. He's not concerned with sanctification. Well, They'll give lip service to it, but functionally... Who's not concerned about holiness? The the person? Yes. Okay. Never mind. We're working them, you know, who are... Well, who I was ready to correct you, but I won't need to know. Oh, well, that's good. Um, on the other side of that, you have legalism. Um, and, and this is just as dangerous. And this, this is the idea um, that really the finished work of Christ is not sufficient. It's not sufficient to save. It's not sufficient to um, be a means of perseverance. Um, you have to contribute things to your holy living. And so a common way that this is phrased is, is Jesus plus something. Um, you, you got Christ, you got the cross, um, but he also expects you to kind of meet him and fill out the rest or something like that. And so this is a, a helpful thing that R.C. Sproul said. He's, he said, a person who's fallen into the trap of legalism violates the spirit of the law in order to obey the letter of the law. Um, that is, they're, they're concerned about a black and white law, um, but that person then fails to understand why the law or the command exists. In fact, this was Jesus' constant indictment against the Pharisees. They were all about following the black letter of the law to a T, you know, mm-hmm. tithing their cumin and their dill and, and these kinds of things. But he, he constantly was bringing it to a deeper level of the heart. Well, th- what's fascinating with that illustration you just used is that he, he says, you know, you, you tithe your cumin and your dill and your mint seeds, which is crazy just to think about. But you, you neglect the weightier issues, right, of justice and mercy. But he says, you should still be doing those other things. He doesn't say you shouldn't be doing them. But to your point, they missed the whole point. Mm-hmm. You're so busy counting out your seeds, but you're, you're literally stealing from the widow. And, and somehow you've got bothered by that. He, so another subtle error in the licentiousness is, look, um, we don't have to. Yeah. do these things, these smaller things. It's like, no, you still are 
These are still commands of the Lord, and you need to do them while you pursue these other things as well. All that to just say is, you're right, that these guys are all messed up because they're so focused on things that are of a smaller importance that they miss mm-hmm. the whole point. In legalism, there's this tacit assumption that following the black letter of the law will equate to holiness, and Jesus comes along and elevates this. You know, so he's, he says, you do not commit adultery, fine. He says, you, you even look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery or do not murder fine. But if you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder. Um, so he actually elevates and, and brings it past the black letter because there's this whole spirit of the law, uh, the spirit of God's character. And so legalism is external conformity to check a box. And I would just argue there's no true desire or affection to obey in that sense. It's just, I got to follow the rules and hopefully squeak by. The, the trick though, though, is, it's also so very subjective category because have you ever been accused of being a legalist? I have. Um, you never have. You will give it time. Um, I don't. I don't know if I have. Well, you can't help it if, if, you, if you're preaching through the Bible, and you are. You're just going to get to things where they're commands, and you're going to be talking about them as commands, and somebody's just going to be annoyed and just call you a legalist. You know, where's the gospel in that? Where's the gospel in this? Where's the grace? And it's like the grace is well, having saved you so that you might obey these. And they're like, no, no. And so it, it is a subjective category being a legalist. And so it's something you do want to search your heart of what what is the motivation, right? Am I just mm-hmm. looking at myself in a superior manner because I have done really good in checking yeah. whatever box it is. So, so an example of this is, you know, a person who's satisfied because they faithfully attend a church every Sunday. And so they check their box versus the person who's genuinely compelled to be faithful to attend because they love the body. They want to hear the word. They want to sing praises, encourage the brethren. And so it's an issue of motivation here. One will say, you got to get with the church because this is the body of Christ. Whereas the other says, I got to get with the church because I got to keep myself saved or mm-hmm. something like that. And so, so it's really a heart thing. They both look the exact same on the outside. They're both faithfully week in and week out attending the church, got their Bible open, singing the songs. One's a legalist, one might be, whereas one, another one might be operating out of, a, out of what we'll call grace. Seems like we should have a transition here. Well, you're supposed to. I know. But um, I was actually enjoying what you were saying. Oh, so I forgot that we had a script. That's scintillating, in front of us. huh? Scintillating. What was it? What was it? Discussion of faith over fable. I, well, was, I was humbled. Someone non truculent is talking. That's right. True. And I got lost in that copse of trees down in that swale. Because you were blinded by the. <laughs> What's the new one you found? (laughs) (laughs) And Lena just swoops in and takes the whole thing away. Anyhow, all right. So when we're talking about this, uh, this is one of the more common problems parents fall into. And um, it's certainly something that Kim and I had to fight um, and fight rigorously was when you're trying to lead your child to Christ, it's right, proper, and good to do so. Um, But what will happen is you'll have a child that is, for all intents and purposes, professing genuine faith in Christ. They they understand the notitia. They understand the facts of the gospel. 
And they genuinely seem to be resting and hoping in that. But they're still a kid. And, and that's all they are. They're, they're a child. They haven't thought things all the way through. Um, as I remind parents, neither have you. And so cut them some uh, slack or grace, if you will. Um, but they still sin, right? The kid is still a kid. He's still being taught and trained by you. And he struggles with anger. He's got, let's say, he's got big sisters or the sisters got big brothers who would just torment and they get angry. And unfortunately, there's parents who will then turn around and say, well, I don't know how you can really call yourself a Christian if you're still going to be acting like that. And so they'll refuse the waters of baptism and they'll constantly be second guessing the kid. What they're actually doing is teaching the child to be a moralist because they're not pointing him to Christ. They're pointing to him that you're not keeping these external forms good enough to please me. And, and if you're not pleasing me, then you're obviously not pleasing to God and you, and, and you can't be a Christian. And so the end result is you create either a, a Pharisee in your child and that's a sad situation when they get into adulthood, or you you completely destroy their spirit. And I've met people who, in my own heart, and I mean, I can't prove this, but in my own heart, I believe they're saved, but they've been so beaten down by well-meaning parents or family members that they've just given up. They've just given up. They, it, It's weird. They'll still go to church, and that's because of the spirit, right? I mean, it it, it's what we were just talking about. They they go to spirit. They go to church not to check out the moral box, but they just for some reason have a need to be there. But at the same time, they're just completely defeated um, because they've been beaten down by legalism. They've never met someone's standard. Yeah, and, and so they keep trying to work to get that, but no one's ever just yeah. given them the gospel that this is sufficient, now walk in obedience in light of that versus keep trying to earn something yeah. that you can't. Um, and, and we've seen that in so many different ways. I, I remember talking to a guy who was, he, he was so excited about his faith and he was really being down on his family uh, that he was right, you know, and he, he, how they didn't do this or that. And I, I'm listening to him and I said, dude, you, you just really lack compassion. And he seemed surprised. And I said, I'm serious. Where's your compassion? And I said, let me ask you a question. Were your, did, did your mom, was she raised a Christian? Well, well, no. Was your dad raised a Christian? No. I said, were you raised a Christian? Yes. I said, so you're already light years ahead of them. I said, they, they had nothing. Nobody ever taught them the way of grace, the way of Christ or anything. And they came to Christ later and they're trying their best they can. And it's not very good. So what? Can you not show them grace like you're demanding of them? And can you not live in that grace? And so here was kind of a weird one because mom and dad are fumbling in their faith and trying to train him. And he's slowly growing in his faith, but he's all about legalism. It's, you know, that they're failing here. They're not doing enough here and there. And it's like somewhere in their grace comes in and, and compassion and mercy. Um, parents can do it. Obviously, kids can do it back to the parents. Um, mm. We're all quite capable of doing it. It's, it's one of the reasons that I think you and I would say we're, we're pretty viscerally, I mean, we did, we don't like the idea of, you know, giving people five steps to, to godly oh, living or, you know, a 13 point sermon on what it means to become more like Christ and those kinds of things, because there, there are a lot of rules 
that tend to be baseless. They sound really nice on the surface. Here's what they'll achieve you. You know, follow these. This will be the product. Um, but but there's no foundation or motivation for those things. They don't flow out of anything. And the opposite would be true for what is commonly called gospel-centered, gospel-focused teaching. It sounds good. I mean, who doesn't want to hear the gospel? Um, and if it and it, if it properly applied, it is something that's good for you. But too often, all that's really heard is the gospel and little basis of living that gospel out in in your life. And so you walk around feeling really good about yourself because you're under grace, under the blood, you're saved, mm-hmm. there's no condemnation, and yet you still aren't even remotely clear on what you're supposed to do with those three children living in your home. Yeah. You know, what, what's my duty? What's my responsibility? What does Jesus want me to do with those kids? No clue. Yeah. Uh, but I'm under grace. And it's like... Yeah. So so in light of all that, there has to be a balance um, between these two ditches um, of legalism and licentiousness. And um, we would say we can understand a proper balance through through two categories or two realities of Scripture that we've labeled as indicative and imperative. Um, so would you would you want to talk about those, what those two mean? Yeah, I don't do it much anymore, but it used to all the time in my preaching, um, mostly when I was in Paul. Um, I asked all my the people at church to write it on the inside of their Bible, in, indicative and imperative. Indicative is just, in a simplistic way, facts or reality. When it's written, something is written with the indicative, it's not asking you to do something. It's just telling you what is. Um whereas in the imperative is a command. And so when you look at Paul especially, he's famous for it, as you well know, that he'll he'll write with his indicatives and then he'll move to his imperative. And what, what you have to do is keep both in balance and understand the purpose of both. And when you do, um, it helps so, so much. Um, an example would be Paul in Romans or... It's easier in Ephesians, but we'll do in Romans. The first part of Romans is all indicative. There's a few commands in there, but very, very little. Mostly, it's just simply Paul declaring what is, that we're sinners, we've fallen short of the glory of God, that it's uh, that salvation is through faith alone, and it, and it just goes on and on. Uh, but then there becomes this point where he makes a transition, and that transition then starts to lead to commands. But they're always in light of the indicative, meaning because these things are true, do this. And so if you only talk about what's true, but you never get to the do this, then you've just cut half of the Christian message out. And if you skip ahead to the do this because you're, you're a doing kind of guy, but you don't know why you're supposed to do it or from what foundation then you're lost and you you go quickly into legalism. So critical that we understand both of those and keep them. And so to say it in a more simple way, a legalist likes to stay in the back half of Paul's writings and a licentious person wants to stay in the front. And a biblical Christian wants to just stay in the Bible. You know, I mean, that sounds very, very uh, spiritual, I'm sure. But read the back half in light of the first half. And then know the first half is going somewhere yeah. with the second half. And that's where proof texting can get you into trouble. You you jump right away to children obey your parents. But they also forget that little thing, little uh, prepositional phrase, as in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, 
and and that that aspect brings you all the way back to the first part of Ephesians. You got to know that what what do we have in Christ? What has been given to us because of His saving work and all of those blessings and security that we have in light of that? Now obey. You're you're obeying not to please God and you get saved, but you're doing it because God has already done that rich work in you. So when I was preaching through Romans, it was really hard when I got to Romans 5 because um, you're always trying to bring application. You're always trying to give maybe something that the people can then take home to do. And in Romans 5, the entire chapter doesn't have a single imperative in it. It's only indicatives. And so it was really hard kind of to preach until I, I became comfortable with just declaring what's true and just calling to people, can you rest here? Can you believe this? Can you embrace this? But it's only indicatives all the way into chapter 6, verse 10. And verse 11 is finally where Paul makes that transition. And he says, in light of everything I just said, now consider yourself and that's the command, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Yeah. But you, that, that command, tell, you need to learn to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, cannot make sense without all of that indicative. Mm-hmm. And those indicatives mean absolutely nothing if they don't then lead to me telling you, therefore, Matt, consider yourself dead to sin. Yeah. But this is, this is why we spend so much time in those indicative passages um you know a lot of a lot of people looking for a church you know they want quote relevant or you know applicational sermons and we'll spend a sustained period of time not giving anybody a command other than just here's truth understand it and in that sense start the process of resting in it but it's all leading somewhere but you're laying down all that theology all that foundation because it's ultimately going somewhere and so then when you finally get to those commands and that application it's built on something. You have truth motivating it. Whereas if it's just a five-point deal on fill in the blank, what's my reason for doing that other than some pragmatic promise that some preacher has given me that may or may not come true? Yeah. um, I'll give you an example out of Ephesians. In verse 1 of chapter 4, where he makes that turns that corner, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And it's a great hinge verse because he's commanding us to walk worthy in the in the manner in, of walk worthy of the calling rather. Okay, but that demands that you know what your calling is. Mm-hmm. And and that's all of chapters 1, 2 and 3. And so if you know those first three chapters and those glorious indicatives that in Christ I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in, in Christ I have the sealing of the Spirit until the day of redemption, you know, all of these glorious promises and truths applied to me through Christ, then even if I didn't know any of the other commands that follow, I have enough to begin to think logically about what does it look like to walk in a manner that's worthy of that. I can right away start to say, Mm -hmm. even if Paul didn't tell me, my speech needs to change. It has to. It it, it has to conform itself to a man who's been that blessed by God in so much grace, right? It has to. If I'm a thief, I've got to stop. I've just got got to stop stealing. But not only do I stop stealing, but as he says, rather get a job, earn money, 
so that you can give to those who have need. Now, and only at that point, are you functioning in a manner that's consistent with the calling. Yeah. And, and once, it, once you get that in your head, your grace is freeing you mm-hmm. to obey. That's why a person who's caught in licentiousness is a person who's not really understood yet who, I mean, truly who, who their Lord is. We have a, I mean, a time that that term is explicitly used is in Jude chapter, cha- uh, chap- well, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse four, he says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so they understand the grace, they got the grace, but somehow in their mind, they're turning that into licentiousness. Um, and so what I what I like about the verse is that language of master, deny our only master and Lord. Um, in other words, it's an issue of who you're submitting your life to. It's an understanding of who your true master is. Is it Christ or functionally, is it you? I'll take your grace, thank you very much, <laughs> but I'll keep doing what I please. Which. Yeah, I was going to say master and Lord language uh, is something that people who love licentiousness hate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm under grace. And I mean, back in the 70s and 80s, the Lordship Salvation issue actually centered all around that. When uh, John MacArthur wrote his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, and showed how he talked about following him, all the people said he's attacking grace, he's he's preaching legalism. And so it was that exact command. And he's like, I'm, I'm showing you literally the words of Christ. And, and if he's not the essence of grace, what is? And yet the outcry was huge. Don't you, don't you be telling me I have to believe in him as my Lord. It's enough to have him as my savior. And it's like, no. And today it's, it's just transformed into a different form where we'll call him Lord, but we're not, but that that it becomes a title, it's not a reality. You're still under the grace. And so you can still continue to do whatever it is you're doing because, praise God, Jesus did it for you. Yeah, and it's a denial of, of the language of slave. I mean, then he came out with his expansion of, you know, the book Slave, which is a play in that word do loss. It's just like you're, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. And if, if you have this weird view of grace, it leads you to licentiousness and then you're still a slave to yourself and your own sin. But if you have a proper view of it, it leads you then into obedience where you truly understand Christ is your master and Lord. And, and now you are his slave in every sense. <laughs> so you're never free, but one is, one is a good kind of slave. One is a condemning slavery. Which makes me always think of Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody. Yeah. That's a great song. And it's a very true song. Yeah, I mean, if, if you grasp grace properly... And again, every one of us at some time will get up on a horse and fall off. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been in, I think that's been my biggest struggle as a pastor preaching is sometimes I'm seeing problems. And so I'm really preaching hard the commands, and but I'm forgetting to couch them in in the fact of what Christ has done. And then other times I feel like I'm discouraging the people. And so I, I start to emphasize his mercies and grace and and somewhere in there I, f- I forget I'm still called to call them to obey all that Christ commanded them and keeping that in balance is hard yeah. it, I mean I, I say that having preached a few thousand sermons that's hard I get exhausted sometimes trying to 
maintain it. Yeah, I mean, for in when I'm looking at a passage, it's you can take any passage and go any way with it. So do I correct, rebuke, encourage? You know, it, 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 you don't know what to do sometimes. And it's actually weird because when I pick up an old sermon, like if you were were they just become so ill you couldn't preach Sunday, I don't have my sermon written yet, so. I grab an old one. It's always weird to pick up an old one. I'm just dealing with the text, and yet it was written to a particular time with particular people and particular issues. And I can't, and, and that there's times that I'm looking at a sermon, I'm like, I can't preach this. I have to rework this whole thing because that church doesn't even exist anymore. We've grown, which is a good thing, but sure. but it also brings back all those memories of things that I had to deal with. And, and you're right. At that point, oh boy, I was I was clearly rebuking somebody, <laughs> you know. And sometimes I remember what was going week. on. It was a bad week. It was a bad <laughs> month, you know. But it's it's there. Um, but when you understand grace, it it like you said, it's going to always move you into obedience. Um, and it's just a mark of one who's experienced the grace. Whereas I think Piper said it so well. He says, "When you're battling sin, just always remember it's forgiven sin," which is just a great line. You know, so it doesn't mean you don't battle it. Just remember that it's 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 been dealt with. Mm-hmm. So fight it, yeah. because you're free to. That's good. So ultimately, grace will move him into obedience, and and I think I can easily prove that because that's what Christ said in the Great Commission, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're going, therefore, and the presumption is that you're going with the gospel, baptizing them in the triune. God, and but you're not done. To make a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're teaching them to obey all that he commanded. And that's the part that people don't like is it's not just teaching them, but teaching them to obey. And so what you're, you're looking for is in, in a person's life is when they obey um, what's commanded now, they're functioning like a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So when you have a person who says, yeah, I believe and I've been baptized, but I'm only vaguely struggling with my sins and I'm really not moving toward obedience, you don't yet have really a true disciple. You may have a Christian, but you have a Christian who's untaught and unruly and needs to be um, addressed. And and to be honest, it's no different than what you see in the Old Testament, right? Hmm. We oftentimes will take the Old Testament and make it law. And in a sense, okay, it's law, but it's not legalism because it's it's law in light of my faith in Christ because, or my faith in God because I believe in Yahweh, I'm, fo- I'm going to follow Yahweh. Well, Yahweh says, if you're going to follow me. Yeah. So they so they offered the sacrifices still in faith. Yeah. It wasn't just the, the Catholic the, theology but, of the doing of the doing of it. What is it? Um What's the last phrase? Oh, golly. Ex opera, Ex-op- yeah, yeah, I can't Just from the doing of the doing of it, it accomplishes uh, the grace, if you will. But here, it's they were always to offer their sacrifices in faith. The priests were to burn the incense in faith. And so it wasn't law. It was it was grace. The, the whole sacrificial, ritual, priestly system was a system of faith. It was never just check yeah, the box. But, and, but when you read the Old Testament, you quickly see <laughs> that the priests turned it into legalism and formality, right? Yes. So they're going in there and taking their fork and stabbing and take out the best cuts of meat and everything. It's just an embarrassment. And and as a result, they corrupt it so that now you're just all the way back to what we start out with. You're checking the box. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than these things we're doing because we love Yahweh 
And because we love Yahweh, this is what he calls us to be. And that, that, that's all. It's that simple. And so from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it's just simply this, in light of the truth of what God has done, do this mm-hmm. or don't do this, whatever um, it's going to be. So sum it up. Yeah. So, I mean, we could say then that indicatives, indicatives without imperatives equal licentiousness. Yes. Um, so the first half of Paul without the second half. Bad. Yes. But imperatives without indicatives would be legalism. So the second half of Paul without the first half, that is baseless, foundationless, without theological warrant or motivated by grace. Now you're just in legalism, meritorious salvation where you're earning something. But also it's, bad. Yeah, correct. So a truly saved person, though, holds these together at all times. That what they do, they do in faith. And so the, the obedience is motivated by a love for Christ, by a desire to please him, by a desire to be conformed into to who he is. So a pet peeve of mine then is I, I hear all the time, you know, you're not being gospel-centered enough. That one I get. You, you do get oh, that I one. I get that one. Well, welcome to the life of a pastor, you know. Well, Sorry, not all pastors, apparently. Well, that's true. <laughs> the licentious pastors never get it. <laughs> Sorry, that's not fair. That's not fair, but you know, well, it, well some are. Yeah. You know, the, the reality, though, is that if you're really gospel-centered, then it always will lead you to be preaching radical obedience. Mm-hmm. Always. You, you, to not requires you to completely rewrite what Paul says. And it's that simple. And it, it it's how it drives me crazy when they they eliminate uh, some of these if passages. You know, you should be doing this and this and this if you have tasted of the kindness of God. And it's like, why don't you preach about that if? I mean, because what he's really challenging the people is to stop for a second and say, I don't have any of those desires. Then Paul would say, well, then have you taste of the kindness. Or mm-hmm. he says to the Corinthian church, which needed to be told, you know, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. How legalistic can you be if you're to test yourself to see if you're in the faith? He says, which you are, unless, of course, unless you fail the test. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's legalism in, in so much of the eyes of the day. Paul would look at it and say, shut up and go test yourself. In fact, you're already flunking the test because you're angry that you're being told to go test yourself. Mm-hmm. If, if you're under grace and you grasp grace, then you can go and look and examine yourself because these are your heart's desire. They're not perfect. Goodness, nobody ever said they were, right? That's why First John tells us, you know, I write these things so that you do not sin. Right. But when you sin, <laughs> you, have, <laughs> you, an you have an advocate. Yeah. I mean, it's, he, he holds both of them in tension. You're not supposed to sin, idiot, mm-hmm. but you're going to, so you have an advocate. But don't sin. Right. And, and, and once you get that, it, it makes sense. So I reference a really good book that I think every Christian should read. Um, by my old pastor, the gospel according to Jesus. It it was it was so good in cutting through all of this and making clear that the gospel is not something that just gets you into heaven, but the gospel is a radical call to follow Jesus and what that really looks like. So this is what I would say to people who listen to our sermons. You know, if if you're listening carefully, 
um, you will hear us really talk about that tension of what what is true and what is commanded. Um, and it's hard. It's it's hard for us all because we always have to keep it in balance. Um, and it's hard for a teacher, but it's also hard for any Christian just understanding that there's things that are true and I need to rest in those truths, especially the gospel truths. But because they're true, I'm also called to do things or stop doing things. And so when I when I talk to a person who's newer uh, at Missio, I, I understand that it what they hear from the pulpit can be just completely shocking to them. Um, because it's very likely they've heard almost no preaching like what they hear, what they're, they're going to hear on Sunday when you, you preach. Um, it's not common for them to be actually confronted from a pulpit with regard to their sin or, or looking at them as a professing Christian and calling them to repent. And, and I would just simply say that if anyone visits our church or listens to one of our sermons and they're, they're taken aback by that, to just take a deep breath and, and before you react in an emotional way, just look at the text and ask, is that not what it says? And, and then go back and listen to it again and see how, though there was a command to repent, what was the basis for it? Why? You know, and and it will always go back to those indicatives. And with that, I think it's also important to dispel this this notion that you know somehow with, with a with a mystic meditation on the indicatives that you'll just be thrown into a this great desire to want to just perfectly always obey these commands. The reality is, you're still a sinner living in a broken, fallen world, and so sometimes you got to look at the commands, knowing you don't feel like you want to obey them, but then you preach truth and remind yourself of truth and then walk in that obedience. It's not always this, this kind of, you know, joyful, giddy, you know, oh yeah, let's go and like, that's almost ever my life. I'm never at that point, hardly, maybe a few times. But that's what I, that's what I think the sort of, you know, the gospel center, gospel coalition, I know TGC stuff produces is, you know, you should have this feeling always before you do this. Otherwise it's legalism, but it's not. It's you should be doing this out of a devotion to who Christ is and what he's done for you. And so you won't always feel like wanting to do it because you're a sinner and you deal with realities of of this world. But, but then there are times where, yeah, you do, you you have that, you know, special moment of um, an intimate understanding of the gospel and somehow sometimes the spirit does work in your emotions and affections. But by and large, I would say that's not, no, the Bible doesn't ever, t- to my knowledge, ever tie your duty to obey to your emotion. It's always tied to your relationship to Christ, which is going back into the addictive. If He is your Lord, mm-hmm. then you do this, and and your want your want to often follows your should do. Yeah, yeah, that's so much like parenting, right? Your, your child is not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not happy with you at all with your decision that they should clean that room or finish their plate. You're not asking them, but because but it's all premised off of your relationship, right? You don't really care what next door neighbor kid does because he's not yours. But your child's going to learn to clean their plate and and be thankful. And they for are it. living in a world of grace. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. in your home. Everything's yep. given to them. I mean, they have loving parents. They have a bed. They have clothes. They have all these things. And and they 
even in their worst days, they are yours and you love them, right? Yeah. But they will clean that plate. <laughs> or they will, or they will be, be disciplined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, and and it. But all of that's grace. And yes. until people grasp that, um, they're they're miserable people. And you know, a child actually acts like you're the worst. I mean, I remember as a kid going downstairs and punching my pillow as hard as I could over and over again, and then talk about when I'm a dad. Mm. You know, I, I'll never do that. Now you only have to ask your wife what it was like having me as her dad and find out that I violated my own oaths in the basement of my bedroom. But I don't really care because I'm a mean dad who loves him. 